This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken, in Cape Town, South Africa. For more resources like this, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. So if you heard the testimony this morning, you heard it without this side of it. And this is the feeling side of it. So I'm going to go through each section. At the end of each section, I, make this in, I made my testimony into a song. If I did the full testimony, I'd do it as if it's a song. So this is the prelude to the song. Um, and at, the, and in, at each stage, I'll allow some questions, all right? So the first, the first one is this one. It's, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. What happened as I was going through this is that people began to send me stuff. And that was powerful. In my email, I, I may have still had Facebook. I don't think, I think I had already gotten rid of Facebook by then. But in my LinkedIn, I do have LinkedIn. It's the nerd one, right? Um, I don't know if you guys know LinkedIn. Do you guys have LinkedIn out here? I like it because then I don't need to see everybody's life. I don't want to see your life. Um, I don't even want to see my own life most of the time. So, um, so you know, I, they, but people were sending me these positive messages. This was one of the first verses I got. And I began to understand that I was being persecuted for the sake of the cross. And the Los Angeles Times, I told them this morning, the Los Angeles Times put out an article saying, basically, I was not fit to be in a scientific office in the United States of America because I believe that God created the world. That was crazy. And of course, they, they also think, something else I didn't mention this morning is they also ridiculed me because I, uh, in some of my sermons on entertainment, I talk about Disney. And I said, um, in one of the sermons, I said, um, I don't want my children to wish upon a star. You know, you, you, you ever been, to, you guys probably haven't been to Disneyland, but there's the whole thing when you wish upon a star. When you wish upon a star, it makes no difference who you are because when you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. Well, that's a prayer to a non God entity, which is witchcraft. That's what it is. You cut it up, size it up any way you want it. It's, it's not something you, want, you should want your child to do. So I said that in a sermon. I, and I said, I want my children to pray to the living God. And they put that in the Los Angeles Times. That's the second largest newspaper in the United States. One of the probably top five largest newspapers on the planet. And that was it. I mean, I was on the local news. They were showing clips of my sermons and talking about how, you know, terrible I was. Ridiculing me more for being a Christian. I was on the new nightly news in New York. I mean, think about New York City with 20-something million people in the catchment zone. Um, and it just it traveled around the world. It was on AOL News and Yahoo News. So you know at the bottom when you check your email, at the bottom there's all those news? I was on there, my face. And people were like calling me like, yo, I, I saw you on, the, on my Yahoo News. And it was crazy. And it just exploded. And of course, once they started beating me and people started, and, and Adventists contributed to it because as the story came up and everybody, a lot of people know me from preaching, they all clicked on the stories. How does the internet work? The more you click on it, like the more they want, the more buzz it generates. So guess what they did? They were kept writing more stories. And out for like two, three weeks straight, I was just being beat up in the media. Now, I'm a man who doesn't hate anyone. I've experienced prejudice, racism, dislike of all kinds. So I, that's just not who I am, number one. Number two, the job I was doing, I had brought millions of dollars into the city in order to help literally 
to fight HIV, and we started the first government-run uh, dental clinic for HIV-infected individuals. I hired tons of people from the very community they told me I hated. It was really a lie. It was really wicked and evil, but it is what it is because the Bible says it right here. It says falsely. They're not going to, they're accusing you of stuff you didn't, by definition, that's what happened. That's exactly what they did to Christ, right? They made up stuff about Christ after a while because they couldn't find anything legitimate. And it was one of the most difficult things I'd ever been through for so many reasons. Um, and I started to really study the, read the Psalms. So I, we'll do the question in a second. And of course, God showed me the Laodiceans and he said, and, unto the, and this was me, I was Laodicean. I was preaching and doing stuff, but I was still a Laodicean Christian in many ways. Um, and so, and it says, unto the angel of the church of Laodicea write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you, spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And then he says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire. So the antidote to Laodiceanism is to be tried in fire. So we talked about that in a sermon today about why God sends trials. That's the antidote. So once you have trial, you, may, that you, be, you can then become rich and, uh, um, and, and, and white raiment. Thou mayest be clothed and that thy shame of thy nakedness doesn't appear. And then God began to show me the shame of my nakedness. He began to show me all the ways that my success in my career had caused me to begin to drift from God. Now, it wasn't major. I was still a lay pastor at a church. I was still preaching all over the place. But deep inside in my own quiet devotional time and in my own walk with Christ, I could feel the drifting. And I knew it was happening, but then on the time I was like, well, but God's blessing me. I must be all right with him, you know, hooking me up. I mean, can't go both ways at the same time. And the trial hit. And when that happens, it says, that you, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that you may see. Why? Because what happens is without trial sometimes, you can't see your own condition. And you can't actually see the power of God. You get that? So trial comes along, and, it, and I'm telling you, so if you go through trial and you don't do what I said in the sermon this morning, if you do not ask God to show you what it is he's putting you through this trial for, what it is about you that needs to change, your spouse walks out on you, a lot of times it's easy to just hate the person who walked out and not stop and say, Lord, what am I lacking with you? Why are you allowing this to happen? And if you ask that question, God then is the great potter. And he will begin to mold and remake you out of the humility you have in that situation. And he says, as many as I love, I love this line, as many as I love, I rebuke and I chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and what? What does it mean to be chastened? To be disciplined. To be disciplined. Now, everyone's context of discipline goes back to what? Your childhood. Now, my childhood discipline meant you was catching some blows. Now, my mother was quick, too. She should have been a boxer because she had a wicked right here. Boop! Like, you, you, I mean, you'd be like, Mama's boop. Sometimes you didn't even get it out your mouth full. Oh, wow, she hit me before I even finished saying it. Right? So my understanding of being chastened was blows. But God isn't, it, that's not the way God works. It's, he's far more sophisticated. Not that you may not get blows. But God, my mother didn't know, I'm Jamaican, you know, so 
She didn't understand timeout and putting people in corners and all that <laughs> foolishness. It was, it, was, it was violence. I mean, it was, it was bloody. It was, you know, I'm telling you, the last woman I got, I swear I was in like third grade. And I realized this woman is crazy. I'm not, I'm going to behave. She whooped me so good, I was like, I think I'm cured. I will never get a bad report card, nothing. This woman is nuts, right? So, but God rebukes, he will pass. You know what he'll do? He knows what's valuable to you. Because this is the way you really discipline a child. You know what the child loves. You know what they value. And when you discipline them, you take that thing from them. Right? That kid that loves that iPad. And you say, okay, if you act up, you won't touch your iPad for two weeks. That makes them have to constantly, see, a whooping is, the one good thing about a whooping is when it's over, you just go back to doing what you was doing. So a lot of my cousins, they'd be like, either you stay inside or you get a whooping. And they'd be like, I'll just take the whooping, right? Because <laughs> you want to go outside and play. Who wants to be inside all day, right, outside playing? So it's the same principle. God leaves you in the chastening process. He leaves you there. Because it takes time for the dross of your character to be purged off. And that's what he did to me. I was in it, I'm a little bit still in it, three years. This didn't just, I mean, I was just where God solve it. I've been in, and all my life, every time I get a problem, I solve it. Lord, solve it, solve it. I'm a doctor, so it's like, fix it, fix it. That's not the way God works. He leaves, he leaves Joseph in the prison two years after Joseph helps the butler. Think about that for a second. That's almost cruel and unusual punishment. He helps the butler. The butler goes back to Pharaoh, and at any time the butler could tell him, okay, Joseph is cool. You should let him out. He's actually innocent. He waits until Pharaoh needs Joseph to say something. He sits there for two years. Some of you are in your two-year experience in the prison two years, and that is a tough time. But he says, look, I, it's why. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? The purpose of trial is to bring you to repentance, to recognize where you're wrong, recognize where you need to grow. And if you can get that out of it, every trial will actually be a blessing. Every trial will be like, an, like a workout session in the gym, right? You think about it. Why? I mean, I don't know if they go to the gym like here, like in America, but in the States, going to the gym is the big thing. I mean, you see Kevin Hart, his little self on there, showing him all his, all his like incredible little workouts and stuff. And he's ripped now. He wasn't when he started. He's ripped. He does some crazy. I got to give him props. But who goes to the gym to get hurt, to, to you know, be sore, to all the things that you do? Why do, you, why do people do it? Because you're going to have a better physical product after than you had before. Why does God send you through trial? Because you're going to have a better spiritual product after than you had before. And once you understand that, you can repent and God can grow you. And, he's, and Luke 21, 34 says, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and so that they come upon you unawares. I have a great devotional by uh, um, Morris Venden, a great pastor from the Loma Linda area. And in one of the day's devotion that I, I go through, he talks about the fact that if the devil's going to pull Christians away, he, if, you're, if you're in Christ and he's going to pull you away, it obviously isn't going to be with sinful things. Don't miss this. He's going to pull you away with good things. And when, you, when I read that devotion that day, I actually have a sermon I did on it afterwards, he's right. The devil, is, he knows, he, I, he wouldn't get me with cigars and cigarettes and marijuana and alcohol or women. or There was a lot of stuff he just wasn't going to get me with. But he could get me with success. He could get me with popularity. He could get me with 
accolades and, and people liking me. You get my point? He could pull me away with things that actually aren't bad at all, like the cares of this life. And once you understand that, you understand how it is that good Christian people sometimes fall. Because they won't do a lot of stuff you think they'll do, but they can get caught up in the cares of this life. And, he, and Luke says, look, don't do that so that the day doesn't come upon you unaware. He's preparing you for a second coming. So any questions on that part of it? And I have to be quick because we do have to get all the way through this, but if I don't see any hands, I'll keep going. All right, you can hold the questions too. So the storm hits you. I told you a bit about the storm already. And this is the psalm. So this is where the psalms became powerful. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me, when they were, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned in, into my own bosom. This is exactly what I experienced. It's funny how the Psalms were perfect. I was looking at it like, these people are lying on me. They went in front of City Hall. I mean, I, I can't even tell you all the madness that happened, Right? And they were coming at me, coming at me, coming at me. And I'm like, but when other folk needed help, I was always there to help them. And David is like, it's terrible. I humbled my soul for them in fasting and prayer and returned to my own bosom. And I was always trying in my job to lead people to Christ subtly. So I never preached any sermons on the job. But by default, the way that I led the department, the way I cared about people, the kind of leader I was on the job, I was trying really hard to bring people to know who Jesus is. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in my adversity, they rejoiced. I told you about how when Georgia got, when the, when the state of Georgia fired me, they kept the phone on. And, it, it was, and you literally should have heard them. <laughs> I mean, they were just like hyenas. Not I'm in Africa. Laughing like hyenas. And I was like, I was, it really hurt. I'd met these people. I'd sat at a table with them and been interviewed. I'd been offered a job. And here they are laughing at me, really because I'm a Christian who's just out of luck, who can't be helped. Um, but in my adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and ceased not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. That was my prayer. What the Psalms did for me is I actually transitioned to a place where I began to use the Psalms as prayers. And I'm telling you, when you're going through something, the Psalms are amazing. Because this line, I would just recite it. How long, Lord? How long are you going to leave me in this, Lord? How long am I supposed to suffer like this? And rescue me. I mean, literally, I'm like, Lord, rescue me. These people are destroying my good name and character when I didn't do anything. Did nothing wrong. My darling from the lions. Look at all some of these things. Pull me out of the net that they laid privately for me, for you are my strength. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. That's literally what Jesus said on the cross. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. I have hated them that regard lying vanities, but I trust in the Lord. I'll be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble, thou hast known my soul and adversaries. Uh, and then here's one, Psalm 38 was an amazing one. Oh Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath. Because then what happens is the devil starts saying, you know, it's your fault. You in this mess. And so there's this, this dichotomy that you're going through. On the one hand, you realize you weren't right and you needed to grow. And what the devil says though is it's all your fault anyway. So, the, so he starts to bring your sin up in front of you. 
And let me tell you something. God does not grow you or change you through guilt. He grows you and changes you through conviction. Right? Guilt is the tool of the devil. Guilt makes you feel unworthy of what God wants to do for you. And many of the people I've witnessed to, many of my patients over the years I've witnessed to, when I say to them, look, the Jesus of the Bible loves you. The Jesus of the Bible will accept you. You know what they say? I've done too much wrong. He can't accept me. That's guilt. Conviction says I've done a lot wrong. How do I live right now? He says, for your arrows stick fast in me and, your, and thy hand presses me sore. There's no soundness in my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head as, uh, as a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and they are corrupt because of my foolishness. You start to realize how you play into it. David is saying that, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot pleasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul also so, uh, sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. For in death there is no remembrance of you. In the grave, who shall give you thanks? You know what David starts to say? If they kill me, Lord, I can't praise you. If they destroy me, they can't praise you. These are one of the great texts when you're defending the, spirit of the, the um, doctrine of the state of the dead. Because everybody says, well, you go to heaven and you're rejoicing and praising God. David clearly says that's not what's happening. You dead? You just dead. That's it. I mean, <laughs> that's it. There's nothing else, right? So you get to a point when you go through trials. How many of you, and how many of you honestly have really been in a trial so bad that, you, that death really wasn't even a bad option? Like you almost, I almost don't want to ask this. I don't want you to raise your hand. But it's too late. I already did, huh? Um, I, it's a terrible place to get to when you get to the point where you're just like, it's not that you want to commit suicide. That's not what I'm saying. You just get to the point where you're just like, Lord, whatever. Like, if you're going to take me, take a brother. I'm good. I think I'm right with you. Or I'll see you at the second coming. Like, you just like, I get, I get like, I'm ready. Like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I can't. I'm done fighting, I'm weak, I can't, my dukes are down, I can't fight no more, right? You can get to that point. David got to that point. And hast thou not shut me up in the hand of the enemy? Thou hast set my feet in a large room. Have mercy upon me. This is what David says a lot. O Lord, for I am in trouble, mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly, for my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength fails because of my iniquity and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. An affair to mine acquaintance, they did see me without fled from me. And that's what happened to me. One of the tough things that happened, and I think, um, I'll, I'll read some of this, but one of the things that happened to me is when the, when the church came out, and said, look, we don't know this dude. He doesn't, now I'm, a, I'm contracted pastor in the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and they basically look like, we don't know him. Once this media thing exploded from D.C., they were like, look, we don't know him. He's not ordained. He doesn't speak for us. Now, mind you, they never said nothing about all the people I baptized, you know, that came into the church when I go all over the world and preach. Nobody ever had a problem with that. I mean, they never had a problem with anything. But once there was any fear, they packed up and ran. And that was that line. That's this line right here. I was approaching about all my enemies, but especially among my neighbors. A fear to my acquaintances, the people who were supposed to know me and defend me, they ran from me, right? I am forgotten as dead out of mind. I am like a broken vessel. That's literally how you feel. 
For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. And literally, that's what was happening. They were like literally, they wanted to make an example out of a preacher, a black American preacher who's successful to say, look, if we destroy him, this is literally what happened. These people will be quiet about these issues. It was a way to move America away. I mean, literally, I was the example. And that's why it exploded so much. I like 14, though. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my God. My times are in thy hand. Deliver me from the hand of mine enemies and from that, them that persecute me. Make thy face to shine upon thy servant. Save me for thy mercy's sake. Look at the last line. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord. For I've called upon thee. Let the wicked be ashamed. And let them be silent in the grave. Did you know that's exactly how the whole thing finally turns out? They become ashamed. And when it really all comes out what happened, the people who came at me are the ones who really become ashamed. Let the lying lips, let, let the lying lips be put to silence, which speak grievous things proudly and contemptuously against the righteous. Let me see. I'm, uh, well, this is probably a quote from Ellen White. Different. How many times when we are placed in some trying situation, we think, this is a wonderful mistake. How I wish I had stayed where I was before. This is Ellen White. But why is it that you are not satisfied? It is because your circumstances have served to bring new defects in your character to your notice. But nothing is revealed but that which was already in you. I actually gave you the full quote this morning. I don't know why the slide messed up. But I want you to get that. When you're going through trial, you know what? And you start saying, you know what? I'm going to leave the church. I'm going to leave the, this. I'm going to give up on God. I'm, you start questioning God. Your doubt was already there. It took the trial for it to bubble up to the surface so you could actually have to deal with it. That's one of the reasons God allows us to go through this stuff. It's not just simply so that you have to make a decision whether you're going to stay with God or go. It's so that that decision is still in you. You see, the three Hebrew boys in the sermon this morning, their mind was made up before Nebuchadnezzar ever lit the fire. You get what I'm saying? Their mind was made up all the way back in Jerusalem. They were never going to defile themselves, no matter what happened. And the secret to being a Christian is your mind needs to be made up in advance that I'm not defiling myself. And if they had a done, and you know, if you do that, you do better. All right. So this is one, I don't talk about this much in the, in the thing, but this is where I went to. Yes, sir. Well, my, my attorneys actually wanted to sue, but I was like, there's no way I'm, I'm not suing the church. That doesn't make any sense. In fact, I'm glad you bring up that question. It's, it's probably the next stands after this one, but we'll get to that, I think. Um, but I will say this. Let me say this, though. Let me say this. One of the things God did, I, I told you this morning, one of the things God did was he told me every time I wanted to defend myself, like a lamb led to the slaughter is dumb, so said he not a word. That's how God told me don't say anything. And when this thing happened with the church, what God said, to, two things God told me. Number one, he said, touch not the Lord's anointed and do his prophet no harm. Do not speak ill against him. Because I don't want people to have angst against the church because of what I went through. This is still God's church. And then he gave me another verse of scripture in, out of the story of Joseph, where Joseph, when he finally meets his brother, you know what Joseph says? His brother's? You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
And those two things are why I just said, you know what? I'm not going to trip. I'm going to keep telling people, pay your people, like, I'm going to stop paying tithes. I'm going to leave the church. I'm like, don't do that. Support the church. Keep going on. It, this, it, and I have a quote in one of my other sermons. This is the noble ship Zion. And Ellen White says, it will reach its port. To jump off the ship is foolish because you, you especially around here, you got a lot of sharks. You're going to jump off the ship, right, and start swimming, thinking it's safer swimming, and then a shark eats you. Stay on the boat. We've been promised the boat will get back to port. Even, and, but it will be crazy ride, but it will get back to the port. Follow-up question, and then we'll go there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm gonna come. I'm gonna come back. I'm gonna come back because it, it does come full circle. It's, it's one of the other stanzas. Yes, uh, there were people that I worked with who, some were Catholic, some were, some were like, you know, Baptist Sunday people in, in work. They listened to the sermons and really began to get into the Advent message. I don't know what happened to them now because I, I haven't been around the town in a while, but I did get that from people who were saying, listen, one, one lady was like, she goes to one of the Sunday churches in passing, she was like, you need to come be the pastor for our church. We want the truth that you're preaching. Um, two of the Catholic ladies really said, listen, we've listened to all your sermons and we love your sermons. So you're right. I mean, and again, I don't know what fruit that ultimately develops because I didn't stick around to find out. Uh, but there was a, definitely a benefit in that. I know people who listen to all of my sermons, every last one of them, looking to destroy me. And at the end, or looking to see if there was anything there that could destroy me. And at the end, I did get the comment like, look, I really was blessed by your sermons. I really benefited from listening to your sermons. Um, so they listen to um, like everything on Audioverse. And all of the stuff is on Audioverse. All the sermons are on Audioverse. The most downloaded sermon at the time, the most downloaded sermon ever on Audioverse was my sermon that I, I did right after this all happened at Loma Linda at Advent Hope, and it was, um, Is Your Window Open? So if you haven't listened to that sermon, you go on Audioverse and listen to it, and you'll get the, what, where I was right when it first happened, within a couple weeks, what God told me to say and how he told me to say it. I saw a hand in the further back. Did I get angry with God? Oh, yeah. Well, I was sad, mostly. I mean, I'm a <laughs> sensitive type of dude. <laughs> um, so I was more sad than I was mad. But there were times when I was just like, this doesn't make sense, God. You, I never wanted to preach in the first place. When, when my pastor in high school told me I was going to be a preacher, I was like, you're crazy. There's no way I'm going to be a preacher because preachers lose cool points. And I'm far too cool <laughs> to be a preacher, number one. Number two, I want to be a doctor. I don't want to be a preacher. You know, I don't, I don't want anything to do with it. And God led me into this field, and then, I, and then I le he leads me into it. I do it, and God blesses me in my chosen career path, and then it all explodes. The two worlds collide from Seinfeld. That's where that comes from, right? The two worlds collide, and bam, it's all a mess. And I'm like, God, why? So we'll come back around to that, but I definitely at times was not happy with God. Um, I was never disrespectful to God. But I was really just like, I don't get this, Lord. It's, it's, it's more than I can handle. And that's really this phase where I get into depression. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? 
Why art thou so far from helping me and from the, and from the words of my roaring? O oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, and I'm not silent, but you are holy, uh, O you, but thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. And you know what I found in my depression? I got to a point where there was only one thing that made me feel better. One of them was the reading of the Psalms and stuff. I've given you that. It was singing praises to God. I got to the point where I would just play Christian music and sing and praise God, and I would just be lifted. And it makes sense when you read the Psalm. David feels forsaken, and he says... I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not. And in the night season, I'm not silent. But I cry, but guess what? You listen, you hear, you inhabit when I start praising you. I challenge you when you're going through something to be intentional about praising God. I challenge you to really make time every day to praise God and to go to the churches where they praise God. Go and sit down among the other believers and have them sing and praise God where they have an extended praise and worship service and they praise God. Powerful things happen when you do that. Um, so he says, they cried, they cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not conformed. Look at what he says, though. This is how dark it gets for David. I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despise of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. And that's how I felt. I was like, people are laughing at me. And they're like, look, he thought he believed in this God, and this God did not come to his rescue. And I have to keep believing that God would. Psalm 55, for it was not an enemy. This goes back to what happened to me with the church. For it was not an enemy that reproached me. Then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then would I have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man mine equal, my guide and my acquaintance. That psalm comforted me because David went through the same thing. Folk that were supposed to have his back in church didn't. And David had to deal with that. Ellen White says it like this. She says, troublous times are before us. In many instances, friends will become alienated. Without cause, men will become our enemies. The motives of the people of God will be misinterpreted, not only by the world, but by their own brethren. The Lord's servants will be put in hard places. A mountain will be made of a molehill to justify men in pursuing a selfish, unrighteous course. The work that men have done faithfully will be disparaged and underrated because apparent prosperity does not attend their efforts. The spirit of prophecy told us what happened to me was going to happen. So when somebody sent this to me, because again, this, I got a lot of this stuff, people were sending me stuff, this really encouraged me. Because I realized, like, Mark, like the first verse I read you out of Mark, this, was, this is what's supposed to happen. And you know what people would say to me? You are, they would say, in America we have a phrase that says, you're the canary in the coal mine. I don't know if they say that down here. What that means is, if you want to know if, in the coal mines in Pennsylvania, if you wanted to know if, you could, if the coal miner could survive, they would send a canary down there. And because the canary is smaller, if the canary could stay down there for a while and come back alive, then the air was safe to breathe. So it's a test to send a canary into the coal mine. So what, they did, what a lot of people says, you were the canary in the coal mine. You were the one that was tested to go in and receive tribulation, and the rest of us will understand what kind of air we're actually breathing. Who's going to really come to your defense when the time of trouble comes? My story begins to tell you, you better know Jesus for yourself. 
by misrepresentation, these men will be clothed in dark vestments of dishonesty because circumstances beyond their control made their work perplexing. They will be pointed to as men that cannot be trusted. That's what happened to me. And this will be done by members of the church. God's servants must arm themselves with the mind of Christ. They must not expect to escape insult and misjudgment. They will be called enthusiasts and fanatics. But let them not become discouraged. God's hands are on the wheel of his providence, guiding his work to the glory of his name. And at some point you realize God is going to work this thing out for your benefit. She says, when the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when his law is most despised, then should our zeal be the warmest and our courage and firmness the most unflinching. You see that? To stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few, this will be our test. Look at this line. This line really encouraged me. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. In other words, the negative energy you get in trial, you must take that energy and convert it to positive energy. You got to take their wickedness, their hatred, and you got to turn it into fuel to be better. Let me tell you something, when I was a kid, one of the reasons I was such a hard worker and I made sure I had is because I was, when you were poor, you were teased. And I don't know, see, and you get teased. In some countries, you know, there's a lot of poor people. America is a weird place. So there's a lot of poor people, but they scattered out. So you go to public school, and I went to school, and I was in the class with all the smartest kids, and these kids had their polo, IZOD, all the, all the name brand gear. And my mother put me in my brother's clothes from the 1970s. Um, you know what I'm saying? You walking around with bell bottoms a whole generation later. It's not a pretty sight. And you know what it did, though? I learned. I didn't get angry. I didn't get mad. I made up in my mind I was going to have stuff. And if my poor mama couldn't get it, I was going to use these two hands, and I was going to get it. And I'd be out there. I'd put a shovel over my, every time a snowstorm hit, shovel over my shoulder. Boop, boop, boop. Ma'am, would you like me to shovel your yard? I'll charge you less than anybody else charges you. Well, y'all, I'm going to get me some shoes, boy. Summertime. Push that lawnmower up and down and say, you need your grass cut, I'd cut your grass. You understand what I'm saying? When I was 15, I got a job at Baskin Robbins selling ice cream. And that was it. I just started working, 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 because I understood. I could, and race was another problem. I mean, all the racist stuff that's thrown up. You know what I did with it? I said, I'm going to be better than them. You're going to call me all these names? I'm going to be smarter, faster, stronger, better, Period. And I look back at some of, my, some of the people that would have called me them names now, they're broke, uneducated, don't have anything. You understand what I'm saying? And I just said, listen, I'm going to take your hatred and make it fuel. Amen. And from a spiritual perspective, you got to do the same thing. When the devil starts throwing stuff at you, he's throwing stuff at you because you're a threat sometimes. And you got to say, Let Lord, develop me. Let me be a better weapon for you. Let me better be a better soldier in your army. Take the negative energy. Take all of the stuff that's going on and say, Lord, humble me that I might do your will. Amen. I like that line. At this time, we must gather warmth from their, the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason.
I, I, my story is the example. Now watch this. This is, how I, this is how this played out in me. When you're going through these terrible trials and everybody's against you, when the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when you're going through that, at this time, look at what you have to do. Gather warmth from their coldness of others. So when, people, when they were cold and turning their back on me, I found warmth in Christ Jesus. I realized I had to draw closer to God. And those individuals who were overwhelmingly the majority, who wanted to give me love, who wanted to give me help, who wanted to give me support, I really drew from that, that, that warmth, even though certain folk were being cold. But it gets even better when you look here. When I saw how chicken they were, that they wouldn't face conflict, they wouldn't stand up, they wouldn't even say what the church believes. The newspaper wound up getting barraged with all of our beliefs and actually published one of our beliefs the next day because the, ba- the way that the, the, the newspaper took it, the church didn't believe some of this stuff I was preaching anymore. So all of these Adventists all over the United States start writing the newspaper like, are you crazy? Of course we believe this. And here's where you find it on our website of our church. So I grew courage. I got stronger in the storm because I saw their cowardice and I said, I've got to make up for their weakness. I need to be strong. But the other one is this one. As they cut me off, you know, I became more loyal to the church. That's the example. I realized it would be easy for me to bash the church and walk away from it. But watch this. It takes character to stand in the church and say, you know what? This is still God's remnant church. There may be some folk who don't get what's going on or maybe some folk who just weren't smart enough to actually ask what was going on. But guess what? It doesn't change who the church is. Because the leadership, the people who made decisions, they will all change. What is not going to change is that our doctrines are the doctrines of the last day remnant church. So you see what I'm saying? So as they were, as they were treasonous, I became more loyal. I hope that answers that. So this became my favorite verse, but he himself, one of day's journey into the wilderness, speaking of Elijah, came and sat down under a juniper tree, and he requested for himself that he might die, and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. And you know what the devil wants you to do? Compare yourself to other people. So what happens is, I started really getting depressed, because I started, I was like, Lord, I can't, I'm just, I'm just sorry. I'm worthless. This is pointless. You start to really think down on yourself. And he requested he die. Here's the irony of Elijah. He's the only prophet, maybe the only person in all the Bible, who prayed to die and never died. <laughs> he asked to die and, got, and a chariot came and picked him up, like Uber from glory. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> He he got picked up and taken away. But listen, as powerful as Elijah was, in in front of Bible stories, I got a lot of strength. Elijah just had called fire from heaven. He just called fire from heaven one chapter earlier, just a few days earlier. The next day he's out in the wilderness talking about some kill me, Lord, take me. It showed me that even these great men of the scripture and women of the scripture, they oscillated as well. It's not, it's not abnormal to oscillate. What you have to do is come back to God. A just man falls seven times, rises every single time. And you got to remember that. So the next one is the cleft of the rocks. And this is when I went to Guam. Unto thee, O Lord, I do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Remember not the sins of my youth nor my transgressions, according to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. This became my song. 
Unto thee, O Lord, unto thee, O Lord. I won't sing anymore. My soul, y'all should sing actually, yeah. This song became my song. And I would sing it when I really was discouraged, I would sing this. This was what we sang in children's choir when, I, choir when I was a kid. And these Bible songs were really powerful. He says, mine, Psalms 25, 50, Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. And I started to believe, read the Psalms and understand, he was going to deliver me. At some point, deliverance was going to come. Turn thee unto me, and have mercy upon me, for I am desolate and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Oh, bring thou me out of my distresses. Look upon mine affliction and my pain, and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in thee. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. I like this one. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Some of these Psalms, I'm telling you, I'd read them over and over with tears streaming down my face agonizing with God because I said, Lord, if you, David was a man after your own heart and he got there by trial. He didn't become a man after God's own heart because he killed the, the giant. He became the man after God's own heart because he, he took trial in stride. Even when he sinned with Bathsheba and killed her husband. When Nathan the prophet calls him on the table about it, you know why David is a man after God's own heart, spirit of prophecy says? His response to being rebuked. It's the way he responded. He instantly said, look, I sinned. In, I mean, he, no, David, some of us would have been like, well, you know, she, she was a pretty good looking sister, Lord. I mean, she was right out, you know, uh, or, you know, her husband should have came back. Or he, you, Most people would have tried to come up, I'm sorry, most people would have tried to come up with an excuse. David immediately says, ah, it was me, Lord. That spirit, that, that's, that says a lot about who God is. He, he does not expect you to be perfect, but he, do, I, mean, he, I mean, in the final analysis, he does expect us to get our characters right. Don't get me wrong. But he, he also understands when we fall. He simply wants us to be honest with him. You know what honesty with God says you do with God? It says you trust him. And trust is the underlying principle of faith. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. The reason some folk who are very conservative Adventists can't get that faith relationship with God is they don't trust them enough to be honest about their faults. It's a works-based religion, so they try so hard to put up a facade for all of us that they're perfect that they never trust God enough to actually give him where they're imperfect. And you have to give that to God. David did that, and that's why David was rewarded. So the battle came, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive uh, with me, fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of the shield and buckler and stand up for mine, mine help. Draw out also the spear and stop the, the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought into confusion that devise my hurt. The legal process was crazy. I had an army of, well, not an army, a, 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 a team of attorneys, and I had to go to battle for religious freedom. So all the stuff we read about with religious liberty and religious freedom in the United States, the First Amendment to the Constitution guarantees your right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, and freedom to exercise your religion. All of that was violated in my case. 
These attorneys are constitutional attorneys who fight to defend the Constitution of the United States. First Liberty, you can go on their website, they have a whole interview with me, and I think they still have my whole section up. I'm meeting up with them soon um, in, in, um, in the, on the East Coast of the United States for, for a conference. But somebody had to fight for me. And what God showed me is that somebody else was going to fight. I wasn't going to fight my own battle. And this was the verse I loved, even before the, the final outcome. And that's what happened. When it was all over and 40,000 people signed a petition of support, when the politicians in Georgia came to my, began to come to my defense, when one of the state senators came and spoke on my behalf in the state capitol, when some of the U.S. congressmen from the state of Georgia actually came to my defense, all of a sudden the tables turned. I was the guy you wanted to be far from in the beginning. By the end, folk are drawing up close to me. Because they're seeing that the tide is turning and that we've got this massive amount of support coming for me. And at that point, it be, you can see the tide turning. And this is exactly what happened. They were confounded and put to shame. That's what God did for me. Let them be as chaff before the wind, and let the angel of the Lord chase them. Let their way be dark and slippery, and let the angel of the Lord persecute them. For without cause have they hid for me their net in a pit, which without cause they have digged for my soul. Let them not say in their hearts, ah, so, so would we have it. Let them not say we, ha we have swallowed him up. Let them be ashamed and brought to confusion together that rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor that magnify themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. The Psalms. You see how the Psalms work now? When you're going through it and you can't see the end? You see how the Psalm gave me the end? And that's what I hung on to. I hung on to all of these songs, psalms because I saw it was coming. Blessed be the Lord because he hath heard the voice of my supplications. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusted in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart greatly rejoiceth and with my song I will praise him. And that's the final stanza, the victory. Bless the Lord. He heard the voice of my son. All the prayers I prayed when it seemed like he wasn't listening, he had already heard them. I told you I was all laying on my face crying out to God one morning, early in the morning before I went to work, all alone, begging God, Father, I need, I, I need this to end. I need deliverance. I'm agonizing with God. While I'm doing that, the phone is vibrating, like I said this morning. When I get up and I check the phone, it's the attorney. I call the attorney, and literally, my prayer that this thing come to an end had been answered the day before. He heard my supplication before I ever prayed the supplication. That's the kind of God you serve. He hears you before. Matter of fact, he don't need you to say it. You know what he needs? He needs you to pray it so you realize you need him. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear, and shall trust in the Lord. He says, I love the Lord, because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he has inclined his ear unto me. Therefore will call upon him as long as I live. The so Let's see how that? As long as I live, I'm going to call on him. The sorrows of death come past me. The pains of hell got hold of upon me. I found trouble and sorrow. Then called I upon the name of the Lord. Oh, I beseech thee, deliver my soul. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yea, our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. I was brought low, and he helped me. 
Return unto thy rest, O my soul, for the Lord hath dealt bountifully with thee. And I can tell you, he did. He gave me back everything I lost. I got a better job than I ever had. God restored me. All kinds of people came to my defense. Before long, I got people calling me, looking for me to come work in their Christian organizations in, in different parts of the U.S. as a physician because they said, we want someone like you in our organization, someone who will stand up for right in our organization. By then, God had already given me the job I have, and I just stayed there. But I'm telling you, he did not forsake me. I felt forsaken. I got angry at times, whoever asked that question. But in the process, I understood I needed to wait on God. And some of you, you're going through stuff. And it's easy in the process of going through it to give up on God. I'm challenging you to understand that he will leave you in the fire long enough to get the purpose done. Don't jump out the fire. Don't jump off the ship. Stay there with God. And he will work things out for your behalf. Spirit of Prophecy and Prophets and Kings, she says, God has a purpose in sending trial to his children. He never leads them otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose that they are fulfilling. God want, there was something for me to do. And, I, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to do it. I would have rather he had called, I would have rather he had called someone else. I said, choose Dwayne Lemon. Sebastian Brack. I said, I got all kind of people, for, Lord. I got all them Taz. I know all them cats. Lord, they are good men. Better men than I, Lord. Any one of them could do this. Nope, this is yours. You get that? Some stuff is just, it's yours. It's for you to carry. And the purpose out of it, when I, and when it was happening, I didn't realize it, but the ability for me to go around now and speak about this testimony and tell folk, listen, God is real, and there's a time of trouble coming. When it comes, he's still going to be real. When it gets its worst, when it gets its hardest, he will still be real. It is the triumph of the Christian faith that it enables its followers to suffer and be strong, to submit, and thus to conquer. That was the civil rights movement. They, they literally followed this. Suffer and be strong and submit and conquer. Sometimes that's the way you move things. You get that? Sometimes you are the one who has to suffer for things to change. We are too quickly discouraged and earnestly cry for the trial to be removed from us when we should plead for patience to endure and grace to overcome. Because you know that was my thing the whole time. I was like, Lord, all right. That's about enough, Lord. You know, basketball. Time out. Time out. You want it over, don't you? You just want it to be done. But if God did that, they would, you would not gain the patience of the saints. It, that statement in Revelation means so much more to me now. Here is the patience of the saints. I get it now. The saints are patient because they allow God to churn them in trial and difficulty and perfect their character. The saints are patient. Do not dishonor God by words of repining, but praise him with heart and soul and voice. Look on the bright side of everything. So this is for somebody in here. Do not bring a cloud or shadow into your home. Praise him who is the light of your countenance and your God. Do this and see how smoothly everything will go. 
Did you know if in your trial you praise God and you stay positive, God will make it go smoothly? Partly because you will be less, uh, 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 less sensitive to the affliction. You, the pain, you won't feel it as much because you're believing for God to do good in the situation. Psalms 18, this is our last slide. He says, the Lord lives and blessed be my rock and let the God of my salvation be exalted. It is God that avengeth me and subdueth the people under me. He delivers me from mine enemies. Yea, thou liftest me up above those that rise up against me. Thou hast delivered me from the violent man. Therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen, and sing praises unto thy name. That's how the story ends. In the final analysis, I got to a point, I, I told you, I, I was done. I was done preaching. I said, man, this, this preaching gig ain't worth, what we, this ain't worth what, what comes back on you. If you're going to lift up the name of Jesus and get beat up like this, I'll stay home. I'll go teach Sabbath school. Ain't, I ain't heard nobody get beat up for that yet. <laughs> but watch this. When you lift, when you go through it, you know what happens? It's like Jeremiah says. Because Jeremiah is the same way. Jeremiah is actually very good when you're going through trial as well. I guess I could do one whole one of these on Jeremiah and Lamentations. But Jeremiah says, I quit, Lord. Look at what they're doing to me. He says, I give up. And then in the verse, he said, he he wait a minute. I can't stop preaching this thing. He says, because it feels like fire. Shut up in my bones. When the gospel gets in you right, you can't even help it. This message was presented at the Amen Missions 2017 Bible Conference, Shaken But Not Forsaken, in Cape Town, South Africa. Amen Missions, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, is a youth-led ministry seeking to inspire young people to be Bible-based, mission-focused, and Christ-centered Christians. Our aim is to assist in taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to all the world in this generation, starting in South Africa. For more resources like this, or to find out how to support this work, visit us at www.amen-missions.co.za. Amen. Advent message to every nation. This recording was produced by the Preparation Ministry.